And I invite you to do a couple of things. Uh, get your Bibles ready. Um, this is going to be a little bit of an un, unconventional, a little bit non-traditional message. We, we normally like to, to, to open the Bible and start with a passage of Scripture and take a look at what it says, what's the message of that passage, because we believe that's God's intended message for us to receive. But we're going to do a little bit of a different uh, message here today. Uh, it's going to be more of a topical message. We want to address a topic that, that the elders, we've been, we've been praying and talking about that we've been actually really excited to address here this morning. But before that, I, I want to invite you right now, if, if you have not received the, the, the communion elements, the, the wafer and the juice that we've got provided to the table to your right, you can get up right Right now, we're going to take communion together at the end of the service. No shame, no embarrassment. Go ahead and stand up right now. I can, you already, you can tell you're not alone in this. Uh, grab those communion elements, and, uh, and we'll get ready to partake of that together here at the end of our service. <clears throat> but, you know, we've been working through the book of Acts, and we're getting close to the end of the story. The narrative actually really speeds up. The Apostle Paul, he's on his way to Jerusalem in the story, and... Uh, Spoiler alert, he's going to get arrested in Jerusalem, uh, he's going to get imprisoned, and eventually he's going to make his way all the way to Rome, a place that he's been wanting to go to for quite some time, but the timing hasn't been right, and the timing will be right. But as Paul's been on this journey, we've been seeing that Paul's been influential in taking the good news message of Jesus Christ to new places, new cities, and as people believe the message and are baptized, they form small communities of God's kingdom called churches, local churches. And as he's doing that, he's organizing things and overseeing things to make sure that these churches are functioning, that they're being run, and that they're health, healthy. Uh, and, and part of that is that he's setting up leaders there. But, but as we're seeing this, we're seeing that God has, excuse me, Paul has all kinds of companions on this tasks, uh, task of setting up local churches, men and women. We've been seeing influential people as they've been coming to know Jesus Christ, and they become influential because of the work and the gifting that God's given to them to be a part of this gospel ministry together. About a year ago, our elders were, were gathered, and we went away on a retreat with, with some precious sisters in Christ, many of them being, being our, our spouses. But we got together, and as we started having a conversation, we started to realize that there's some clarity that's needed for us in our church family. Now, some of you may come from all kinds of different backgrounds and traditions related to the roles of men and women in the ministry of the church. And what we realized is that as we were asking questions and starting to just kind of uh, have conversations with people and look around, we realized, you know what? It's not absolutely clear what we declare the Bible to be saying and how it's going to be working out in the life of our church. And one thing we realized is that uh, a lack of clarity is unkind, but clarity is kindness. Clarity is kindness. The mission of Jesus is achieved by his word and through his spirit, through his church. And the mission of Jesus is best advanced by healthy churches, the kinds of churches that Paul was, was establishing and planting in the cities he went to. And healthy churches are filled with followers of Jesus committed to one another and who are pursuing their place in the body. And you, follower of Jesus, you've been given gifts by the Holy Spirit. Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit and given you a specific set of gifts and talents and abilities that we need here at Fairfax Bible Church to, to pursue our mission. Every member, every member, every follower of Jesus is called to pursue their place in the body of Christ and to be pursued by the leaders, elders to be equipped and employed into his service. And if some members are being left out of those spaces and those ministries here uh, that need their gifts and talents and abilities, the body of Christ, our church will actually atrophy because we're not functioning as well as we should. If we've got a, if you use the image of a body, uh, a physical body, you know, if, if you don't use that arm much, if it's just laying on its side, it begins to atrophy or, or that leg, right? We want every member to be functioning well so that we'll be a healthy church reaching our full potential. We need to pursue God's design for his church. Healthy churches are led by effective leaders who equip church members for the work of the ministry. Ephesians 4, 11 to 13 says this, uh, that Jesus Christ, he gave gifts to the church, and those gifts are found in people, leaders, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints, not to support them in the work of the ministry, 
But the leaders are called to equip the saints so that the leaders are supporting the members for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Did you know that Jesus calls you a minister if you're a follower of Jesus? There isn't one minister in the room standing up before you right now. No, you're all ministers, and we're all called to serve Jesus Christ in the body of Christ so that the body of Christ will be built up and become mature. But, but we've got to ask ourselves this question. Because we feel like there's a lack of clarity here at our church. What are men called to in ministry? What are women called to in ministry? Are they identical callings? Are they different callings? And as we've been talking about this uh, with, with many of you, you've been so helpful to us, we've realized, you know what, we need to go back and say, what does the Bible have to say? And if it says that, we're going to believe it. We want to obey it. Uh, but then we also realize, are there any traditions? Are there any uh, procedures, policies, mechanisms in our church and the way we function that are holding people back, gifted people, from doing the works of service to the church? Are we actually atrophying parts of the body because we're putting up barriers that God never intended? And so we want to uh, provide clarity. You know, this last week we saw a little snowstorm once again. And, and uh, you know, when you, I'm learning, I got to get out to my car early. Again, don't forget, I'm, I'm a California boy. I've grown, lived in California for 40 years of my life. And there's this white stuff that forms on the windshield of my car early in the morning, right? And I'm realizing I got to get out there early, right, and scrape some of it off and turn on the defrost so that I can actually see out my, uh, my, my uh, windshield, right? I need that clarity. And so this morning, I hope that this, uh, this message will, will just wipe away some of that frost that has been uh, in front of us that has kept us from that kind of clarity. So we want to ask ourselves this question, and this is the title of the message this morning, Pursued for Ministry, Men and Women in the Church. But some questions we just want to ask ourselves, what are the various views amongst those who uh, call Jesus Lord and, and, uh, and, and believe in his word? What are the major views? What then do we believe? What's our view of what scripture teaches? And then what does that look like in the ministry at Fair? Fairfax Bible Church. And so I just real briefly, I, I don't want to lecture today. I don't want to bore you, but I, I want to go through uh, just uh, some things here that we could talk about uh, this morning to provide clarity. What are the major views? Well, one of the views is patriarchal, the patriarchal view, the patriarchal view. And the word there, patriarch, meaning father figure. Uh, this, this view says that uh, men and women are of equal worth and value, but, but this patriarchal view holds to strong male leadership in most human institutions, in the home, at church, and in much of civil society. And the roles and functions of men and women are very distinct from one another. Men have certain roles and functions. Women have certain roles and functions. Equal worth and value on the best versions of this patriarchal view, but very distinct roles and functions. On the other side is what's called the egalitarian view, okay? When you see egalitarian, just think equal, equal. It's real simple there. It's almost spelled right there in that word. And this view emphasizes the equality and fundamental worth and status. We are called to submit to one another from what the Bible says, men and women submitting to one another. Gender equality is in value and not just in value, but also in function. Men and women are not identical or undifferentiated according to the best versions of this view. But positions of authority and responsibility in marriage and churches should be equally available to both males and females. Uh, this is a really popular view for, for those of us that love the idea of a, a democratic society, right? Everybody's got equal opportunity, right? Which is, which is wonderful. That's a, that's a good value. There's a third view, though, that we want to look at as well of these major views called the complementarian view. Complementarian view. Complementary. Uh, now, this isn't just merely a combination of these two other views, but really it's a third way that emphasizes both the e equal worth and status as created by God of male and female and affirms a distinction in certain roles and functions. And that doesn't mean all roles and functions, but certain specific roles and functions as God has designed. Uh, and those functions and roles are primarily in the home and in the church based upon what the Bible says. Okay, and if you want to just know, I'll just tip my hand right now. Where do we land as a church? We land on that third view, that complementarian view. And we want to tell you why, okay? Uh, let, me, let me just uh, bring up a book that, uh, that, and this has been the, the history of our church. We've been a church that holds that complementarian view since, it's, uh, since our founding. 
Uh, but we came across a book, actually, uh, Matt Rumbaugh, one of our elders, he brought it to us about a year ago, and, and we worked through it a little bit because we don't want to just hold to this view. We want to say, what does it really look like in the life of the church? And we found this really great book. It's called Embracing Complementarianism, Turning Biblical Convictions into Positive Church Culture by Graham Benyon and uh, Tanit to, uh, Janet Tuer, excuse me. This is their definition of the complementarian view. It says this, complementarianism is the belief that God made men and women equal and distinctive, equal in value and dignity. We cannot emphasize that enough. We believe equal in value and in dignity, yet and distinctive in certain responsibilities and roles as God has designed. And so at Fairfax Bible Church, we desire to foster that kind of culture. I, I love that kind of language. They, they want to foster a culture right in the title, right? Uh, turning biblical convictions into positive church culture. We want to have a church culture where godly men and women are pursued, are pursued to serve in ministry than merely permitted to serve in ministry. And we cannot emphasize that enough for you today. If there's anything that you could leave with, and this is our big idea this morning, both men and women are to be pursued, not just permitted for ministry in the church. And what we've found, what we've found is that often these conversations are around, uh, especially for you ladies. This is a sensitive subject. I got up here today, I'm praying, Lord, please, I, I don't want to be a fool. I don't want to be a chauvinist here today. I want to be, have the love of Jesus and the humility of Jesus on display. But for many of you ladies, and if you've come from a conservative evangelical theological uh, background in, in, in certain churches, the conversation normally has been around what are women permitted to do. There's this assumption that most things are held back because the men are supposed to be doing the, the heavy lifting in ministry. What are women permitted to do? And we want to say... To heck with that. We want to throw that perspective in the garbage. And we want to say it's not about what are women and men permitted to do, but we want to say how can we pursue every member of the body of Christ to function in the way that God has gifted them and designed them. And so to provide clarity, we just want to point you to something. Uh, just this weekend, we put up a paper, a, uh, a position paper on this, very, on this very issue, on this very uh, topic. It's on our website. I know we point you to the website all the time. Time. There's actually, under the about, about tab at the top, there's a belief section, and down at the bottom, there's a, there's a link where you could uh, find a, a position paper that provides a lot more detail than what I'm going to provide here today, but what we want to do is just share with you just the broad sweeps and summaries of what does this mean, what do we believe, and what does that look like for the life of our church. Again, our big idea here today is men and women are to be pursued, not just permitted, for ministry in the church. I love this quote. We found this from, from a great uh, sister in Christ, a Bible teacher. Her name is Jen Wilkin. She wrote this on, a, on an article on the Gospel Coalition website. It says this, a culture of permission can communicate passivity and dismissiveness to our women. They long to be pursued. They long to be pursued. When I read that statement, it just stood out to me and it hit me right between the eyes. We don't want to communicate that to you at all, friends. Sisters, brothers, we don't want to just communicate a position of, of permission because that communicates passivity and dismissiveness. No, we are here today to say we want to start taking new steps. And we got a long way to go, but we want to start taking new steps of pursuing you for ministry. Uh, well, what are some biblical foundations? We're going to move through this kind of quickly here today. Biblical foundations for this, this position that we hold here today. First of all is that God created humanity as male and female, and he said it was very, very good. It was very good. Genesis, we see that in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. In fact, Genesis 1.27 says this, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God created humanity. It wasn't like he just create, created man, the man Adam, and it said, oh yeah, I'll just create this appendage as well, this woman. No, no, he created male and female, both equally bearing the image of God. And in fact, what we see here is that you don't get a complete image of God unless we see male and female working together, living together. So we believe right out the gate from Genesis chapter 1, God created humanity in his image that male and female are equal in value and dignity. 
partners. Adam and Eve were called to be partners together in the command from God to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. And the man and the woman were to be God's vice regents on earth together, leading and serving and loving one another together, equal dignity, equal value. Adam, we know from Genesis 2, was formed from the dust, and Eve was created when God took a part of Adam's side out of him and formed the woman as he slept. So what is that? What do we see from all of that, from that story, that narrative, is that Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, they are like each other, yet they are unlike each other in a complementary way. Each is incomplete in fulfilling the mission that God gave to them without the other. The man needed the woman, and the woman needed the man, equal in value, equal in dignity, and yet they needed one another, right? They had distinct roles and functions so that they could fulfill the mission that God had given to them. And so that sounds like a great story, right? I wish it ended there in some ways, but the story uh, goes on. We know from Genesis chapter 3 that sin is the source of all conflict and brokenness in male and female relationships. We see that in Genesis chapter 3. Right after God creates, the serpent comes in and, and tempts Eve and deceives Eve. And then, and then Adam also uh, walks into sin as well. And, and they both make a choice to reject God and do what they want to do. And all of a sudden now this curse of sin is upon all of creation, including male and female. And that impacts our relationships with one another. Genesis chapter 3:16 speaking to Eve God says this your desire shall be contrary to your husband but he shall rule over you there's all kinds of ink that's been spilt over what in the world does all this mean I'll just summarize it for you it just means that because of sin we experience brokenness and hurt and conflict in our relationships what should have been just this, this partnership, this complementary partnership together, now all of a sudden because of sin and our sinful desires and all these things, now all of a sudden we start building walls and boundaries and barriers and there's brokenness. This sin leads to abuse and rebellion. And rea- our reactions to the brokenness that we feel all the time are our attempts to make right what is so unjust about our relationships. But all our human solutions end in more strife or they just cover, cover up the problems that just seem to reemerge over and over and over again. All of us in some way, some more than others, some in different ways than others, we all see that. We all experience that. The cause of sin, the cause of our, our choices against God and against his good design that has led us into all this conflict and hurt and pain and brokenness. But praise be to God, the story gets awesome. It gets awesome because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because of the promise of God to bless humanity in spite of their sin through a people that he chose for his own possession who would bring forth the Messiah who is Jesus, the Christ. And so the good news is this, is that God is renewing humanity, male and female, in the church through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this, this place should be the place, ground zero, for where God has his renewal project to bring all of healing and hope back to humanity. I love what Je- uh, Galatians, Galatians, all the way in the New Testament, one of Paul's letters says this, Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, that boundary is gone. There is neither slave nor free. Your status or econ- economics is the boundaries gone for access to God. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Man, you read the Old Testament, and it sounds it sounds harsh at times. And we even know that uh, at the time of this writing, likely there existed this temple that had certain courts and certain access to God's presence that was set up in Jerusalem that represented God's presence to bless His people. And there were these certain courts. And there was this court of the women. They could only get so close, and some of the men were able to get closer and closer and closer. And through the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news is this, is that the barriers are gone, and all, if they come through Christ, have access to Jesus. I want to tell you today, I'm going to pause here just for a moment. You may feel so far away from God. You may feel like there's boundaries and barriers and things and sins in your past that are keeping you from God. But the good news is this, is that all those barriers are gone and taken away. If you would just come and say, 
say, I believe in Jesus Christ and what he's done for me through his death, burial, and resurrection on behalf of my sins. The barriers are gone in a moment. In fact, I was just reading the gospel story of Jesus dying on the cross recently. It's recorded in Matthew and Mark that the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, representing that the boundary and the barrier is gone. So this is the good news. And so God is renewing humanity right here in the church. So what does this renewal in the church to the gospel look like? And let's, let's move on here to men and women in ministry according to the New Testament, this new covenant that God has given to us. First of all, believing men and women are actively involved in the ministry of the church. Let me say it again. Men and women are actively involved in the ministry of the church, not passivity, activity. We need the complementary relationship to continue to be fruitful and multiply. But the multiplication in Genesis 1 and 2 for Adam and Eve, it was primarily, primarily biological, meaning bearing and raising children to fill the earth. But under this new covenant, in this new humanity that God's creating in the church, this multiplication command is to go and make disciples. We have spiritual children who are born again through the gospel, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And in this church, in this renewed humanity that's happening here, we need spiritual moms. We need spiritual dads. We need spiritual aunties and uncles and brothers and sisters who are forming God's new family in the church. Every part of the body every part of the family is active because you have a role to play in this renewed spiritual family. That's how we continue on this command. We multiply not by merely bearing children, really it's by bearing spiritual children, watching the work of the Holy Spirit give new life to cause people to be born again through the power of the gospel. And we see that being played out in the early church. Women had significant impacts on the growth and development of the early church. We've been seeing it all throughout Acts. We see Lydia was saved in Philippi, and she hosted a house church. And it's very likely that she was a significant leader in that church. We see in Romans chapter 16 that Paul goes to this list. Hey, greet this person, this person. This person says hi to you. This person says hi. And as he's listing all of these people, he's listing both men and women, and he considers them as co-laborers and partners in gospel ministry, doing the work of multiplication for the spiritual family. We see it all over the place. The apostles, they saw that, that while they were the key and primary leaders, that everybody's involved in active ministry. So much so that Paul even described uh, certain ways that both men and women were to prophesy. This gift of prophecy that was really active in the early church. They were going around receiving direct revelation from God and speaking it out to the church family. And that wasn't just happening by the men. That was happening by women vocally speaking out in their local, in their gatherings, speaking what God had said. So we see that men and women both had roles to speaking in the church gatherings. And we know this, that all all believers, men and women, according to Colossians, are called to teach the word of God to one another. In fact, I got a verse here for you. Colossians 3.16 says this, let the word of Christ dwell in y'all. In y'all, that's, that's the kind of like, we don't have a you plural in English. So, and so sometimes we use that southern term that y'all, okay, let the word of Christ dwell in y'all, male, female, here gathered together uh, richly, teaching and admonishing one another. Not men teaching men and women. Not women teaching men and women nearly. It's, it's teaching one another. Everybody's got a teaching role as we come to the Bible together. We're warning, we're exhorting, we're, we're examining scriptures together. It should be happening and busting out all over the place. I love it when I see it happening in our small groups. Men and women pouring over scripture together. But we should be teaching one another, singing psalms and, and hymns uh, spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. This is a one another activity, friends. This is a one another activity. We should be teaching and admonishing one another in the scriptures all the time. But this is, this is believing men and women actively involved in the life of the church. 
And we also see that those men and women also have particular responsibilities in the church to help those of the same gender grow in their knowledge and love and obedience to Jesus Christ in gender-specific ways and within their families. We see that in, in Titus chapter 2, older men helping younger men come along and grow in the faith. Older women helping younger women come along and grow in the faith. It's just ministry is happening everywhere in this spiritual family, in the body of Christ, strength, not atrophy, being pursued, not just merely permitted. And so we see all that. And we want that to be happening all over the place here at Fairfax Bible Church. But there's one category of service and leadership that the Bible describes, the New Testament describes, is that for, is reserved for qualified men only, okay? This is where we get into the complementarian, equal in worth and value, yet distinct in role, in some certain roles and functions. And here's that one certain role and function. God calls qualified men to be elders, also known as pastor and overseer. God calls qualified, not all men, he calls qualified men to be elders. Well, what are some of those qualifications? Well, elders are qualified by their character, first and foremost, not by their gifting. Are they good at speaking and are they good at leading? No, no, no. First and foremost, are they qualified by their character, by their integrity, by their faithfulness to, uh, to their church, to their spouse? Are they se- have sexual integrity? Are, are, they, do they, are they an angry person? The list goes on in 1 Timothy chapter 3 to describe the character qualities of an elder to quality man. So he's qualified by character. He must also be able to teach. So there is ability. But also within this, Paul says that elders are qualified by character, ability, and by their sexual identity. By being male specifically. Being male specifically. He, he says, uh, we, we call these as husband of one wife, a one woman kind of man. I've heard some translators put it that way. It, it, and so it has to be a male, a male for this specific function. And, and what do these elders do? These elders, they're not just qualified by their character, ability, and their sex being male, but they also fulfill specific functions in the church. And this is their, uh, primarily, they have responsibility for oversight and shepherding care for the churches. In fact, fact, Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 5, he says, I exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock of God, exercising oversight, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. I tell you what, if you find an elder that's domineering, they're not living in accordance and they're not leading in accordance with scripture. The primary way the elders lead is through example, through example. But not only that, they also have another uh, primary responsibility and that's the authoritative teaching and preaching for the corporate body of Christ. And now I want to get into one verse that we're just going to spend just a minute on here. Uh, but this has been a very controversial verse. Let me do my best right now. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, it says this, I do not permit, Paul writes, to Timothy for the church that he's overseeing in Ephesus, likely. He says this, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first and then Eve. And with great faith and great courage, I say, this is the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. He says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. What in the world is going on here? Is Paul now contradicting himself? We just saw in Colossians, hey, you should be teaching one another. And now he says, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Now, see, unlike other situations that Paul addresses that were unique to the time and cultural norms, Paul is actually connecting this passage, this verse, this command, he connects it back to creation. It seems that this verse is to be applied to the church regardless of time or culture. But he says, I do not permit a woman to teach. Does that mean all teaching? Is he contradicting himself? No, we don't believe that at all. We've already seen that women were involved in the teaching one another in Colossians 3.16 and and prophesying in the early church. We just saw that a few minutes ago. But then he says this, "I, I also do not permit a woman to exercise authority over a man. What does that mean? All authority? No, we don't believe that either uh, because we've seen that Paul has has listed godly women as significant co-laborers and leaders in the church. So Paul, are you just saying one thing to the Colossians and to others, and then in Timothy, you're writing your true feelings in private? No, we, we, don't, we don't believe that at all. So what kinds of teaching and authority is Paul talking about in 1 Timothy chapter 12, to, uh, chapter 2, verse 12? I, I think that 
trying to understand tough statements that seem contradictory, the way we do that in the Bible is that it becomes possible when we look at them in their immediate context. Context, context. If you have a hard time understanding what does this verse mean, friend, I want to encourage you, read the whole chapter and then maybe read the whole book. Try to understand what is the author saying in its context and I think that unlocks this verse for us. You see, the very next section after 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, the very next section that Paul leads into is the qualification for elders. For elders, the elders who are the primary leaders in the church, and they are to be qualified, godly men. So now we start to understand, oh, this teaching and this authority that is supposed to be reserved uh, is for qualified men who are called elders. The role of elder and the specific functions that go with it is the only place where the Bible places a gender qualification. Friends, I want to tell you this. I know this is a tough verse trying to understand all this. Here's what we believe. We believe and are seeking to pursue men and women who are actively involved in the ministry of the church. Just as Adam needed Eve for the mission, so also we need one another, male and female, in the church. But he's given a certain function and role to a specific uh, small segment of qualified men who are called to be elders, to do the authoritative teaching and to lead in authority in a specific certain role. Friends, I want to tell you something right now. Your elders at Fairfax Bible Church are not omnicompetent. <laughs> we are not omnicompetent. I certainly am not omnicompetent, especially in styling my hair, as you can see. Our, our brother Will Johnson is not omnicompetent. Our brother Dave Kelly is not omnicompetent. Our brother Matt Rumbaugh is not omnicompetent. Our pastor Hang Tu is not omnicompetent. We're called here to be primary leaders in this church as the scriptures has said, but you know what? We need you. We need the body of Christ. Not just, oh yeah, we'll let you do that. We'll permit you. No, no, no. Please come. We need you. We want to be in this thing together. By great, in great humility and in great awe, I say, oh my goodness, I remember it was nearly two years ago in June of 2022 that I was on this stage and the elders installed me as, a, as an additional elder here and I felt the weight of it in that moment. There was a moment I almost felt like I wanted to break down. Wow, Lord, you're calling me to this. It's, it's awesome. It's mighty. It's powerful. And, and, I, and I need you desperately. But as I looked out and I saw, we're not in this alone. We're in this together. We have a family here to be a part of the ministry of multiplication in the church. We're stupid if we think that we got it all on our own. We need you desperately. But with courage and conviction, we say, God has called qualified men to be elders and to fulfill certain functions in the local church. Well, that's our belief in a summary. And that was kind of a long summary. But I'd like to uh, just go over a, a piece of the document that we want you all to be able to see with your own eyes. I, again, I encourage you, go find this doctrinal statement on our website under the belief section on our website, and you'll get to see the whole thing. But I just want to walk through some things, because you may be asking yourself, well, what does that mean? Does that mean they believe this, or does that mean they don't believe this? Let me just walk you through uh, eight affirmations and denials. Without a lot of commentary, I just want to read them with you so that you could see with your own eyes and hear it with your own ears. Affirmations and denials of what we believe here at Fairfax Bible Church that the Bible teaches. First of all, we affirm that both men and women have been created in the image of God and are entitled, entitled to the privileges and held accountable to the responsibilities that come with reflecting our creator in the family, in the church, and in the world. We affirm that. You have dignity and value because you're created in God's image. Therefore, the other side of that is that we deny the belief that the created order dictates that all women are inherently subject to the authority of all men. Let me say that again. All women are not inherently subject to the authority of all men. Furthermore, we deny that biblical submission is indicative of subordination or inequality. No, no, no. Jesus Christ is the perfect example. He willingly submitted to God the Father and this is the prime example of submission within equality. What else do we affirm? We affirm that both men and women are necessary. Let me say it again. Men and women are necessary for the health and effectiveness of the ministry of the church. And that brotherly and sisterly partnership is vital for the church to flourish. 
Therefore, we deny any theological position, even versions of the view we hold, complementarianism. We deny any theological position that leads to the subjugation, abuse, or neglect of any man or woman. Next, we affirm that the particular value of gender-specific discipleship relationships, meaning this spiritually mature men discipling less mature men and spiritually mature women discipling less mature women. We affirm that. We think that's good and we think that's healthy so that the, the body of Christ can grow. Spiritual moms and dads helping uh, you know, spiritual sons and daughters and, and, and brothers and sisters in Christ. And here's an important one. We deny that men and women must be married to be meaningful participants in the corporate life of the church. Single man, single woman, you are of no less value in, your, in this church because you're not married. That was one of the things that we were encountering that needed some clarity. It, it felt almost like, you know what, if you're not a man, you can't have a significant place of leadership in this church, like, like leading a small group. But maybe if you were a woman and you were married to the right man who was going to lead a small group, then maybe you can have some opportunities to lead. And we said, you know what, that, that doesn't sound like Bible to us at all. That sounds like maybe some traditions or some things that have happened in the past, but we want to say, no, 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 we, we deny that. We deny that men and women must be married to be meaningful participants in the corporate life of the church. You see, the biological family is still so precious to God, but you know what's even more precious to him? His spiritual family, and he's brought us together. Single man, single woman, you have a place alongside with every brother and sister in Jesus Christ here at this church. If you say, you know what, I would love to be a small group leader. We want to pursue you. Come and pursue us. We want to talk to you about that. We want to help you take that step, single man, single woman, to have a role here to be active in the life of our church. Next thing that we affirm. We affirm that the role and functions of elders are reserved only for qualified men, as we just talked about. Open and active to everybody, but there God has given a certain role and function to the church, and that's the role and function of elder. Elders are distinctly and primary, primarily responsible for shepherding and overseeing the church, guarding the church from false teachers and doctrine, and authoritatively preaching the word of God in our corporate weekly gathering. And finally, we deny that our position regarding the role of elder being reserved only for qualified men diminishes the value of women or their influence in the church. Ladies, we need you. We want to partner with you. The indispensable, indispensable gifts, talents, and abilities of women should be exercised in all manners of roles and tasks in the church except the role of elder. That's the one distinction. And ladies, we want you to know we want to grow in pursuing you for ministry at our church. If you felt like there's been barriers and blockades for you, I'll just say it. I'll say it on behalf of our elders. We're sorry about that. We don't want that to be the case any longer. You may have felt like you're undervalued, that you're not appreciated here, that you're not truly allowed to do what you feel like God has called you to do. And we want to tell you here today, we want to make changes. We want to do some things to help you so that you are pursued and not just merely permitted or even put a, a blocked from, from ministry. Again, our big idea this morning, and we're going we're gonna to close here in just a few minutes, but uh, our big idea this morning is this. Men and women are pursued, not just permitted for ministry in the church. Men and women are to be pursued, not just permitted for ministry in the church. Well, what does this mean for Monday? And really, what does this mean for ministry? What does this mean for ministry at Fairfax Bible Church? Let me just go over some broad categories for you because uh, you may see some small changes and tweaks, but really we, we hope that it'll just reflect that, hey, we're seeing men and women, married and single, pursued for ministry at our church. First of all, how does that impact our Sunday corporate gatherings? How does that pursue this actual environment right here? Well, first of all, the expectation is this, is that every member of the church body actively participates in our corporate worship gatherings, not just those who are on stage. And that's one of the things that, I mean, I love this room. It's a great room. One of the things I don't like about the stage, though, it creates this persona, this idea that, hey, there's one person up there performing, and I'm sitting back back there and I'm observing. No, no, no. We want every member of the church body actively participating in our corporate worship gatherings, not just the people that are on the stage. However, we do have some on-stage tasks 
And you've seen it. We have a call to worship. We have Bible readings and testimonies and announcements and, and whatnot during our worship gatherings. And these should and can, and we want them to be performed by any believer, male or female, except the following function, as we saw from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. And that's the authoritative teaching of God's word. That's what happens on Sunday in our corporate gathering in an authoritative way. Also, when we install new elders, that's going to be done by elders as well, all right? When we take the Lord's Supper, everybody can be involved in passing it out. We're going to have an elder uh, lead our Lord's Supper. We just saw it a couple of weeks ago. It was so awesome. If you saw the videos of our baptism or if you were there, Will Johnson, one of our elders, was overseeing the baptism. But we had one moment, one of our sisters getting baptized, and there was another sister in the water there with her who's helped her take those steps of following Jesus, and she got to be the one that dunked our other sister under the water. And it was awesome. And we love seeing that. We believe that's a beautiful picture of the kind of multiplication and active ministry that should be happening all over the place here. I hope we see it again. I'd be praying for our students this weekend that they would have an encounter with Jesus, that they would be given new life and transformed by the power of the gospel so that we got to plan another impromptu baptism. We'll figure it out, man. And we'll get people in there. We'll see, uh, you know, male student leaders baptizing male students. We'll see female student leaders baptizing female students and what an awesome picture that will be of this family growing and of ministry happening all over the place. Well, We've told you before, not, it's not just about Sundays, it's also about our small groups, midweek, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and other nights. We want to say this to you, we want to take new steps to pursue male and female leaders married, single, doesn't matter. If you are gifted in being able to shepherd and lead a small group of people, if you can facilitate a Bible discussion just like Colossians chapter 3, teaching one another, please come tell us. We want to pursue you. We believe this about our small groups, that character and gifting are more highly valued than gender or marital status. Oh, we want to put our money where our mouth is. Character and gifting are more highly valued than gender or marital status. We want to take new steps in pursuing through identification and training of both men and women equally for these important roles of care and discipleship. And the male and female leaders should function according to gifts and abilities, not gender. For example, in the past, it's, it's traditionally for many of our groups that the male was kind of assumed to be the only one who could teach or facilitate a Bible discussion. But if we've got a female leader if she's gifted and if she's talented to help the group be able to come together to study the Bible together, we want that lady, that gifted lady, to do the kinds of Colossians 3 teaching that we're teaching one another the Bible if she's gifted in that area. And we believe that male and female co-leaders should equally share the responsibility for the group. The, the, the male leaders are helping our, our, our guys grow in Christ. Our female leaders are helping our females grow in Christ. And then when it comes to being all together, they share that leadership. That may be how your group is already functioning. It may not be how your group is already functioning. But we want to move in that direction, pursuing gifted male, men and women for leadership in our small groups. Maybe you were in a small group and you thought, you know what? I think the Lord might be calling me to, to help multiply the mission here through leading a small group. We want to invite you. Let's have that conversation together. We want to see ministry bust out all over the place. Well, not only in small groups, we've got teaching environments as well. We believe that male and female teachers can lead in mixed environments. Uh, we're so excited to watch God bless us for growth and maturity as gifted men and women use their gifts to build up the body of Christ through the faithful teaching of God's word. I saw this yesterday. If you weren't a part of our Zoom prayer, uh, prayer workshop, you missed out. Our sister, Jewel Johnson, she co-led with Adrian Jung, and it was awesome to see. And I was just so blessed to see men and women busting out in their ministries uh, in active service. And then finally, ministry le uh, leadership and service. We've got ministry teams here, uh, set up and tear down kids ministry, guest experience, uh, worship team, pro uh, production team. We, we hope and pray that our list of godly men and women leading and participating in ministry continues to grow, just like that list that Paul had that said, hey, say hi to this person, say hi to that person. And it was full of men and women who were in the ministry together with him. And so, friends, leadership is... If you're a single man or woman, married man or woman, and you feel like, hey, I'd love to lead a ministry team, tell us about it. We want to pursue you so that you could take steps of leading with us. 
I have a quote here, and I want to invite the worship team to come on up because we need to get to communion and close our service here today. But listen to this quote. It's by a sister named Sharon James, and she wrote this wonderful book. Uh, it's, it's this, God's design for women in an age of gender confusion. And she has this one statement that just stood out to me. It says this, men and women are together are needed. Men and women together are needed in partnership for the fulfilling of the Great Commission. God's design for church is for every member ministry. We are all united with Christ, all members of his body, and, to, and all to be active in serving him for the good of the church and for the extension of his kingdom. You know, as, as us elders, as we were thinking about it, we felt like the kingdom wants to expand. God wants to expand his kingdom here through Fairfax Bible Church and other churches in our area, here in, in our region and around the world. But we felt like, you know what? There were some barriers that were in our way from allowing us to be able to extend the reach of the gospel of Jesus Christ into spaces that, that just couldn't be reached. There were barriers there. There was a lack of clarity. It was unkind. And so because of that, there was a gap in ministry that we needed to close. By way of illustration, I, I want to share with you the story of, of a woman. Her name's Katherine Johnson. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, that really sounds familiar, right? In fact, the school that we may meet in is named after this, this wonderful woman. We've been uh, talking about just some key people in, in, in uh for Black History Month here in the United States. And, and I, I love the impact of this woman. She's the, uh, she, she's the actual person behind the lead character in the movie, Hidden Figures, if you haven't seen it. But Katherine Johnson began working for the NACA, the precursor to the NASA, in 1953. Her work in the agency was a day-to-day -day progression. She started out as uh, one of the women who worked on problems assigned for the engineers in what was then the guidance and control branch. And as Johnson worked on the problems, she would ask questions. She didn't just want to do work. She wanted to know the hows and the whys and then the why nots. None of the other women had ever asked questions before. But by asking questions, Johnson began to stand out. But she was told that women didn't participate in the briefings or, or attend the meetings that, that the men attended. She asked, asked if there was a law against it. The answer, of course, was no. And so Johnson began, began attending uh, briefings, and the NACA was just beginning its work on space. Space itself may be perceived as a series of plain surfaces, and as Johnson became known for her training in geometry, she began to work with the team more and more. Eventually, she became known as a leader, and the men increasingly relied on her. She remembered quite clearly her experience at the time. The women did what they were told to do, she explained. They didn't ask questions or, or take the task any further. I asked questions. I wanted to know why. They got used to me asking questions and being the only woman there. It was this inquisitive nature that made her a valuable resource to the team and the only woman at the time to ever be pulled from the computing pool to work on other programs. Then, in 1962, President John F. Kennedy charged the country to send a man to the moon. And guess what? Johnson became part of the team, and she began to work on calculating tra the trajectory for America's first space trip with Alan Shepard's 1961 mission, an early step toward a moon landing. She went on to do the calculations for the first actual moon landing in 1969. There was space out there that was never discovered and can never be achieved because there were barriers, things holding someone like Katherine Johnson back. And what we're here today is just to tell you this, hey, we want to provide clarity for our church so that those gaps will disappear and we'll see a healthy church growing as men and women are active in the work of ministry. Men and women are to be pursued, not just permitted for ministry in the church. Ladies, we love you. We love you, sisters. We love you, brothers. And the reason that we can be in this ministry together, the reason why those barriers can be taken away is because of what Jesus has done for us. I want to invite you to stand right now. And as we get prepared to take this cup and this juice, I just want to remind you of one verse that we read. Because of the gospel, Jesus is renewing humanity in his church. It says this in, in Galatians 3, uh, verse 28. It says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. 
for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The body that the Son of God took on, the flesh that he took on and joined to his, his self forever was given for you to break down the barriers. The blood that he shed on the cross for your sins and for my sins was shed so that the barriers can be broken down so that we could have access to God and be in this family together forever. And so what these symbols represent, yeah, go ahead and start peeling back those, those layers. What these elements represent is the freedom that God has given to us and the dignity that he gives to us and the love that he's demonstrated to us by giving us a, a place in his renewed humanity in the church that we have the opportunity to be ministered to and to actively minister to one another. And so you may feel today like you've been looked over, passed over, forgotten. Maybe you feel like there's blockades and barriers in front of you anywhere. Right now, I just want to tell, I just want to ask you to bow your head and just call out to God and say, I remember that Jesus took a body and shed blood for me so that the barriers to what he wants for me can be taken away. That the sin that's separated from me, that from me, from him, can be removed and forgiven and forgotten. Oh, friend, it's what these elements remind us of. Jesus has taken away those barriers. Just talk to God for a moment and then I'll close us and we'll partake and sing one more song together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that uh, the, the greatest barrier of all, the barrier that existed between us and you because of our sin has been removed through the cross of Jesus Christ. That this wafer that we partake here today, it's, it's just a wafer, but it represents something significant. When we gather together, it represents the body that the Son of God took for us, Jesus Christ our Lord, real human flesh just like ours, yet without sin. And we remember this cup that represents the blood that was shed for us. And when he shed that blood, the veil of the temple was torn in two. The barrier was removed. We thank you so much that we have a relationship with you. But not just that, Lord, you've, you've also put us in this family. Spiritual moms and dads and aunts and uncles and brothers and sisters together. Actively, actively loving each other and ministering to one another. Lord, we thank you for that. And so now, Lord, we, we come together as a people, and maybe some of us feel like we've had barriers put in our way. We've been hurt by the conflicts that we feel in this world and the brokenness. Lord, we come to you and say, would you make us whole again? Renew us. Make us whole again. Make us a people that are reflecting your grace and your goodness to renew humanity and your church, all centered on this body and this blood that was shed for us. We thank you, Lord. We give you all the praise and we trust you for the future that we wouldn't just be finding ways that we're permitted to do ministry, but that we would be pursuing it together for faithfulness to the kingdom of Jesus who shed his blood to remove the barriers. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray, amen. I invite you to partake together now.